Well, good morning to you all. It is a real blessing to be with you this morning. Uh, first, really, as just a member of the family of God, it's always good to, to go to other churches, and you just sometimes we don't really realize how uh, awesome and unique it is. You know, when we travel and we go to other cities and we go to church, just how welcomed and included because we're with those who are sharing the journey of faith, the walk of faith with us, and we have so much uh, that we share in common with them. And it's good to be here this morning as a member of the, the armed services uh, to, uh, to share in your celebration and how I've already been humbled today talking with many of you who have, have served before me and uh, have served in uh, many difficult circumstances and just that story of, of sacrifice that you have shared with me. I've appreciated so much how you've taken care of me. Jim has been great just the whole time talking with me and making sure uh, everything was in place and I knew where I was going to be and, and what to do. So uh, what a blessing to be here. Look forward to uh, the day with you all. Our scripture comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, it's chapter 20, verses 1 through 15. I'll be reading from the uh, New International Version. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same thing as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate those words of Tom, uh, just of his uh, giving a word of appreciation to us. I got tickled. I was down there, and before you started reading, you started expressing words of appreciation, and Ethan had already written down my name and the scripture topic. He takes good notes during the sermon, and you really messed him up. He looked at me and said, wait, wait, aren't you preaching? And, uh, and I said, yes, and then his face went sour. But anyway, <laughs> three young boys sitting in a basement looking gloomy. Two of them glaring at the younger one. They've been grounded, sequestered into the basement for 30 minutes. True story, and Richard, I didn't know you were going to bring up the Claypools. One of the boys is Rowan Claypool, who's John's son. 
as a young boy. The other two boys are Perry and Toby Nutt. Some of you have heard me talk about Grady Nutt, the wonderful Christian humorist. Uh, Perry and Rowan were good buddies, and then younger Toby just would always try to tag along, and they had spent all that Saturday trying to shake Toby loose. You know, he's a younger kid, trying to get rid of him, and it just caused all kinds of conflict to the point that Eleanor Nutt, their mother, said, okay, I've had it with you boys. Go sit down in the basement. Be quiet for 30 minutes. She had had enough. So they sat down there for 30 minutes and just gritting their teeth, the two older ones looking at the younger. Oh, what could we do? What could we do? Finally, Eleanor came downstairs and said, okay, boys, you can go back out into the backyard, but I'm going to cook us a nice supper in about two hours, so be ready. Well, she goes back upstairs. Perry, the older brother, had, his wheels had been turning. So as soon as she goes back upstairs, he walks over to his kid brother and says, Hey, Toby, you want to play Cowboys? Cowboys, yes, yes. Okay, now you know how usually Rowan and I both get to be sheriff and you're the deputy? Yeah, you're going to be sheriff. You're going to be sheriff of Dodge City? Yes, of Dodge City. You get to be sh- I get to be sheriff for the first time? Yes. Now, but the thing is, we have the 50 worst outlaws in the whole Wild West in the jail. And this is the jail here. This is the hub of the town. This is a sheriff's office in the jail over here. So you're running everything from here. Okay. So it's your job not just to run the town from, from this room, but, but you've got to keep an eye on the outlaws who are all there in their jail cells. You can't let them escape. Oh, okay, because I'm the sheriff, right? Yes, because you're the sheriff. So you just stay in here. We're going to go out, the deputies, we're going to go patrol Dodge City out in the backyard. But you stay here. You know why? Yeah, because I'm the sheriff. So they go outside. Quickly, Toby goes up into his room, dons his uh, cowboy hat, gets his cowboy boots on, goes back down into the basement. And he's just kind of strutting around like Barney Fife. I'm the sheriff, you know. And he kind of paces back and forth for a while in front of the jail cells. And then he decides he needs a desk. And he told me later, he said he actually got a little chair, got a little table, sat at the chair, kicked those little cowboy boots up onto the table, hooked his fingers, you know, sat back. I'm the sheriff. Rowan and Perry are out there playing baseball and climbing trees. But he's the sheriff. And they would come in, Rowan and Perry would about every 20, 30 minutes say, how are things, sheriff? Is everything okay? And he'd give them a thumbs up. Everything's fine because I'm the sheriff. And they would go back out and play. They did this a number of times. And Toby, two hours sitting in there, he's the sheriff. (laughs) Finally, he started thinking, I wonder what's going on out in Dodge City, you know. And so he decides to mosey on out there. He goes out there. By then, Rowan and Perry, he can't even find them. And he said, literally, he was out there for 30 seconds, and then his mom, Eleanor, calls, boys, time for supper. So they all go to supper. And Toby just regales them, bragging about all the ways that he was the sheriff for the past two hours. Now, why do I share that story? I thought about that story. I hadn't thought about it for years. Toby told it to me a long time ago. But I thought about that story as I thought about this parable that Tom read. You know, Toby and his friends all got out to Dodge City eventually, got out to the backyard. Some got there earlier, (laughs) but others got in. And by the time after that, they all got to the meal and all celebrated a good meal together. Well, I thought about that because all these laborers get to the vineyard They get there at different times, but at least they get in. By the goodness of God, you were born into this world. By the grace of God, you've been kept all the day long, and by the love of God. I mean, I thought about that 
prayer that, that Richard says that I use, which is John Claypool's at the end of every service. Because what a gift it is simply to be a part of the vineyard. Now, did all of the laborers realize that? Well, I think it, it, it seems like the later ones, the ones who got to the vineyard later were fine with it. Those who had been there from the beginning at 6 a.m., though, were bitter and resentful. They were the one group that was not very happy. But Jesus says in this parable that the kingdom of God is like this outrageous and unexpected generosity that this landowner shares with all the laborers, every single one of them, no matter how long they have been in the vineyard. That's a scandalous generosity. It's one that really goes against the laws of perhaps nature or at least of this world. Now, there are two backgrounds to this parable that are very important. First of all, one's a deeper background, if you will. There's this deeper background of Jesus' ongoing conflict with the Pharisees who keep asking the question, why does he dine with sinners? Multiple times you see it in the Gospels, they keep asking, why does he hang out with these low-life sinners? That's the deeper background, part of why Jesus tells this parable, but he really launches into it for a more immediate need. If you look back from chapter 20 into the latter part of chapter 19, Peter hurls at Jesus what some call the mercenary question, which is, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. What will there, what does he say? What will there be for us? <laughs> What's in it for me? Well, he has that calculating kind of understanding of, of you know, what it means to receive God's grace and wondering about what others get. You know, who, which one of us has done the most? Who deserves the most? Who deserves the grace? And who doesn't deserve it in our minds? So to the story, you have this parable with the owner of a vineyard that's laden with vintage. The time of year is mid-September. It's just before the rains come along, and so they need to harvest the vintage. And so he goes out to gain laborers. It's interesting the word landowner there literally means the despot of the house. I like that because in a subtle way, Jesus uses that seven times in different parables when he's referring to a landowner that really kind of correlates to himself. In a subtle way, Jesus is saying, remember that I'm sovereign and you're not. I'm the sovereign Lord and you are not. And in this parable, the landowner is the despot of the house. And you know what happens? He goes out to find laborers. And it's very interesting. He, he employs the first group first at 6 a.m. at dawn. And then he goes back later on to get a group at 9 a.m., then at noon, then at 3 o'clock, then at 5 o'clock, one hour before quitting time. He keeps getting laborers in there. Now, I think it's, it's very interesting. It's always fascinated me that he only has to haggle with that first group. It says he agreed to pay them a denarius, which was the equivalent of a day's wage. He had to agree to that, though. He had to haggle with them. You go to the later people at 9 o'clock, he says, I will pay you what is right, and they go on. It's funny, they don't haggle with the landowner. They just trust he's going to treat them right and be good to them. Same thing with the later people. In fact, the later people, he just says, go work in the vineyard. Okay, and they go. They're trusting the goodness of the vineyard owner. But isn't it interesting those who got there first are the ones who haggled? You know, sometimes those who have been in the kingdom of God longest... Those of us who have been in the church longest sometimes can tend to be the ones who want to haggle with God the most. I think that's fair. You know, sometimes we even get to that point, unfortunately, where we want to measure out grace to other people. Are you with me on that? We want to parcel it out based on what we think they deserve. 
And sometimes we don't like it when God gives so freely. I, I remember Fred Craddock telling about when he preached one time in a town in Georgia, and he was preaching from the lectionary, and the lectionary passage that morning was on the prodigal son. So he preached a sermon on the parable of the prodigal son. Man comes up to him after the service, never met the guy, and he comes up and he said, you know, I really didn't like that very much. By the way, Tom, that happens every Sunday for me out here. I'm walking out. I get that all? No, no, no. He said, I didn't like that very much. And he said, why not? And he said, well, it wasn't, it wasn't your sermon so much. I don't like that story. He said, the prodigal son, you don't like the prodigal son story? No, I don't like that story. He said, why not? And the man said, it's not morally responsible. And Fred said, what do you mean it's not morally responsible? He said, what do you mean by that? And he said, it's not morally responsible for giving that boy like that, for giving him that way. And Fred asked him, well, what would you have done? He said, I think when he came home, he should have been arrested. Fred said, are you serious? He said, yes. He said, well, what would you have given him? The guy thought for just saying, he said, six years. (laughs) Really? Now, that was that man's measure of what he thought the prodigal deserved. But when it comes to serving God in his kingdom and his vineyard, it is not our place to play the role of moral police. It's not our place to be the quality control executives. That's up to God. He is sovereign. We should just be grateful to be a part of it. Just to have been born into not just this life, as Richard talked about, but also, as Richard said, born into his church, into his kingdom, born again into that. And he calls people at different times, as children, as as teenagers, as adults, as senior adults, and he calls them at different stations in their life. Some more crazy than others, some very normal. But all of that is a matter of his sovereignty, as he is the despot, so to speak. It is up to him. So can those of us who are in the vineyard get to the point of, of being grateful for the sheer calling of being a part of the vineyard, the sheer joy of serving in it. I think about that wonderful but lesser-known 17th century hymn called My Eternal King. Has anybody heard that one? All the choir. God bless this choir. Yes, the choir knows it. But I just love it. There's a part where it says, Why then, why, O blessed Jesus Christ, should I not love thee well? Not for the hope of winning heaven or of escaping hell, not seeking a reward, but solely because thou art my God and my eternal king. Can we get to that point? Just loving him and giving thanks to him just because he is our king, because of what he has offered to us as free grace. So we need not worry about the payment that we will receive in the long run, the reward we will receive. You know, we need not worry about what our payment is going to be. You know what? There was only one payment, and that took place on Calvary, and that was enough. And that was so incredibly undeserved, but given so freely, so extravagantly, so outrageously. You should have reason just to give thanks for that. I love it when the landlord lines them up to pay them. He pays the last group first. The, the, the ones who had been there the 11th hour had worked only one hour. And he pays them a day's wage. Then he pays the folks who came in at 3 o'clock, the ones who came in at noon, the ones who came in at 9 And then he pays, you know, probably by the time he gets to the people about noon, I mean, the people who have been there since dawn, I mean, their hands are sweaty because of all the hard work, but I think their hands were itching, too. They're thinking, well, if they're getting paid a full denarius, a full day's wage for being there an hour, no telling what we're going to get. No telling. But then the sky falls in because they get a denarius. Pays them the same. And then they, it says, can't remember what it said in in the NIV, Tom, they grumbled 
They murmured. It's one of those onomatopoeic words that has stood the test of time in the Greek and in the Latin and most any other language. It's onomatopoeic. It sounds like what they're doing. They're murmuring, murmuring, grumbling, grumbling. And what are they saying, basically? We have worked all day. And isn't it telling? They say, you have made them equal to us. (laughs) You've made them equal to us. Shame on you, landowner. Sometimes can we get to that convoluted point? You have made them equal to us, O God. They don't deserve it. Unfortunately, you and I do. Isn't that... Isn't that an echo of what Peter said in chapter 19 just before Jesus launches into this parable? Lord, we've left everything. What's in it for us? Because we deserve more. Oh, do you? You've made them equal to us. Let me ask you a question. How often do we not want God to be as good as he wants to be? (laughs) Let me ask that again. How often do we not want God to be as good as he wants to be? And who are we even to dictate that? It's interesting, the 6 a.m. workers, those first workers were bitter, not because the landowner was fair with them, because he was generous to others. That's the scandal of his generosity. But is that not, bottom line, sinful? (laughs) If we cannot rejoice in the good that comes to others, especially if they enter into the kingdom of God, come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, can we not rejoice? But whatever the case, can we not rejoice with others when good things come their way? Verse 15, the landowner looks at these embittered 6 a.m. laborers and says what? Are you envious because I am generous? Now, older translations take the Greek more literally, and it says, Is your eye evil because I am generous? And is it fair to say that we're, we're traipsing around or even giving in to evil when we carry on that attitude? No doubt, because we are contradicting God's word. What does it say in Romans 12? The latter part says, weep with those who weep. Just before that, it says, can anybody say it? Rejoice with those who rejoice. The longer I live, I think it is easier for us to weep with those who weep than it is for us to rejoice with those who rejoice. When good things come someone's way... When, when grace comes someone's way, sometimes, strangely enough, just like that man who wanted to give the, give the prodigal six years, we kind of want to put them on probation. Or we want to judge them instead of serve them. <laughs> the prodigal son, remember, it's the servants who bring the cloak and the ring and the shoes for the, for the man who comes back. And that's what we're called to be doing as the church, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Or do we still want to parcel out grace in measured fragments. It's interesting that regarding the workers who came in at the 11th hour, you know what? Historically, that landowner could have paid those workers for one hour, one-twelfth of a denarius. Again, a denarius was a day's wage, and that's what he paid everybody. He could have paid them all in the last group one-twelfth of a denarius. It's called a pedarian. It's it's a form of currency that they had that was one-twelfth. But he didn't. What is Jesus saying there? You know what? There's no one-twelfth of the love of God. There's no one-twelfth of God's grace. It is 100% thanks be to God. God help us when you and I want to parcel out grace according to what we think somebody else deserves as if we have the place to do that. God help us when we measure it out as we see fit as if we have the right to do that, that we deserve to do that. 
God help us when we parcel out that grace, that we measure it out as we see fit. I remember studying this passage a number of years ago for a piece that I was writing for the Alabama Baptist. And I remember my, my daughter Hannah was two years old. My son Nicholas was two months old. And I remember looking at them as they were just kind of wandering around. And Nicholas was, was just a little, you know, two, two-month-old baby. And I thought to myself, what if I said to little Nicholas there, Nicholas, uh, let's see, you're two months old. Uh, Hannah is 24 months old. So I love you two twenty-fourths as much as I love Hannah. Or let's reduce it mathematically. I love you one-twelfth as much as I love Hannah. You haven't been as productive as her. <laughs> She's a little easier to manage. And you know, you, you just came along too late. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. Now that's absurd. That's a perverse understanding of parental love, but it's a perverse understanding of God's love that sometimes you and I are tempted to and fall prey to and sometimes give into in terms of how we judge other people. And we start loving people one-twelfth or one-half or one-fifth. When we are called, like God, to be as generous as he is, just what, just what Richard was saying earlier, his final, final question. Our love should reflect that love of God that's not measured out, not parceled out. I always think of that quote from Philip Yancey, there's nothing more we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing less we can do to make God love us less. He just loves us. That's grace. Reminds me of Denise Banderman, who uh, graduated from Hannibal LaGrange College in Missouri, Sister Baptist School, uh, back in 2002. She went in to take one of her final exams in the spring semester. It was a youth ministry course taught by Dr. Tom Hufty. And she, wa- she got there very early, and she was struck by the fact that everybody else got there real, real early, too, so they could cram for the exam. And they were all cramming away. Finally, Dr. Hufty walked in, and he announced to the class that he was going to review with them one more time. And they thought, hey, pay dirt, this is great. Okay, let's review again. So he started going through stuff that they had already gone through in the study guide, but he added a lot of stuff. This is the day of the exam. And it was stuff that was in, they, they started calling him on it saying, wait a minute, we didn't go over that. And he said, oh, but it's in your books that I assigned. And that was fair game. I told you that at the beginning of the semester. Oh, no. But it, but it was fair. They couldn't argue with it. They had no argue, argument with that. Finally, it was time to take the test. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you the test, but I'm going to put it face down on your desk and leave it face down until everybody has their exam, and then you can turn it over and begin. So he does that. He puts them all face down. He comes back up and says, okay, begin. They turn over the exams, and they realize on all four pages of the exam, all the exam questions have already been answered. And they're all correct. And they all have an A on them. And in red ink, they have each person's name up in the upper right-hand corner. And it said at the bottom of the exam this. This is the end of the exam. All the answers on your test are correct. You will receive an A on the final exam. The reason you passed the test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get the A. You have just experienced grace. Dr. Hufty went to each student individually then and asked the same questions. He said, okay, what is your grade? It's an A. Do you deserve the grade you are receiving? No. How much did all of your studying for this exam help you achieve your final grade? None. Asked those three questions of everyone in the class. He went around and did that. Then he got back up to the front of the class and he said this, some things you learn from lectures, some things you learn from research, 
But some things you can only learn from experience. You've just experienced grace. 100 years from now, if you know Jesus Christ, your name will be written in a book. And you will have had nothing to do with writing it there. That will be the ultimate grace experience. Can you begin to even fathom? Can you begin to comprehend the incredible nature of that grace? What an incredible gift it is. Why then worry about who else gets in the vineyard? Why sit there and judge everyone else rather than serve them and just rejoice that they might be at least near the kingdom or in the kingdom and it's our job to serve them? I think this morning clearly about the generosity of God blessing our country. My goodness, the freedoms we have. I hope you will be here this evening to celebrate that, beginning at 545 out there. I really do hope you will be here for that. That will be a wonderful time just to recognize people, to offer thanks for those who have defended freedom and the generosity that God has given to this country and how also he has blessed, though, this church. How he has blessed our opportunity just to be a missional church, going out there, taking the whole gospel to the whole world, as we say, and not worrying so much about who's in and who's not and who's doing this, who's doing, but just focusing on the mission. I, I close with, with these words from the Apostle Paul. I thought about this the other day. You read Romans 9 through 11, which is a very controversial section of the book of Romans. But what's the basis of it? You get to the beginning of Romans 9, and Paul basically says, I am so aggrieved, I am grieved to tears because my fellow Jews are not embracing the gospel. They're not accepting it, but all of the Gentiles out there, they're coming into the kingdom in droves. What do we do with that? Why is it that way, God? I thought the Jews were the chosen people, but they're not embracing the gospel. And so he spends chapters 9, 10, and 11 just kind of hammering out where he's going with that. And then it really becomes a revelation to him, and he realizes, you know what? God's going to work out his purposes as he sees fit because he is sovereign. He is the owner of the vineyard. He is the landlord. He is sovereign. And he realizes that God's doing it his way. I need not worry about it. I need not worry about so much who's getting in or or why they get in or when they get in. I shouldn't be as focused on that so much as just doing the work for the landowner. And what's beautiful is at the end of that section, at the end of chapter 11 of Romans, he just breaks out into that wonderful doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's let that be our doxology. That we can just give thanks and have sheer joy just for being invited to the vineyard at all and serve him as we await the harvest. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and enter into a time of meditation. And I want you to simply take a time of silence and thank God for his sheer generosity that you were brought into this world and that by his grace, you've been redeemed, as we say at the end of every Sunday. Just take a moment and give thanks to God for his generosity to you in whatever ways that he has blessed you as of late. Take a moment and do that. Lord, thank you for loving us in spite of who we so often can be. Thank you that we get to be a part of this wonderful tribe that is a part of the greater tribe 
of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can be family to one another. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for the freedoms that we get to celebrate. Lord, thank you for simply letting us be along for this incredible journey. May we focus ourselves on doing your work that you expect of us. Teach us to do in a way that doesn't look left to right in judgmental fashion, but simply looks ahead, reaching people for you and doing so with sheer gratitude because of your outrageous, extravagant grace. We pray these things in your name. Amen.